Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise that your word will accomplish what you desire and achieve the purpose for which you sent it. So help us to receive that word with eagerness. Please free us from distractions. We ask that you would speak through Pastor Toby. Please use him this morning. Empower him with clarity of mind and voice. Father, we offer up this time now to you. Pray that the Holy Spirit would use it to guide us into all truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Treasury Secretary Timothy Geithner reported, reportedly told a TARP inspector, Neil Borofsky, that he was the most effing transparent secretary of the Treasury in this country's entire effing history. Our Vice President Joe Biden, at the signing of Obamacare, whispered to the President, this is a big effing deal. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. According to a study released by CareerBuilder.com, 62% of workers in the nation's capital admitted to using curse words at work. Some of them on mic, some of them on camera. D.C. is reportedly the most cursing capital in the world. Uh, Welcome to Washington. Welcome to one nation under God. But swearing is not just something that happens uh, here. It happens over our whole nation under God. Apparently the average person in the United States who swears, that is, uh, they curse 80 to 90 times a day. So we have lots of designated zones in our cities and countries and airports. We have no smoking areas. We have no cell phone areas. We have quiet cars on Amtrak. We've got no parking zones, no waiting zones, but apparently it's pretty hard to find a no cursing zone. Never seen one. In the United States, 75% of teenagers text, sending an average of 60 texts a day. And according to Pew Internet Research, texting is the most common form of communication, beating out phone conversation, social networking, and the report goes, even old-fashioned face-to-face conversations. And apparently one of the most popular acronyms uh, to write while texting is OMG. It even finds its spot in the Oxford English Dictionary. Some of us old people have to look it up. It means, oh my golly, I think. Something like that. But anyway, we're getting desensitized to all kinds of things, to harsh language. We're getting desensitized to uh, using God's name. We're even uh, shortening it so that it means nothing. We're becoming like European countries. Uh, I spent a summer... Uh, when Yugoslavia was Yugoslavia. Those of us who were here this summer, we had a wonderful missionary family here from Bosnia-Herzegovina. And it was wonderful for us all to see uh, uh, such godly missionaries in that place. But remember, they said there's just 
two churches in Sarajevo, a big war-torn city. Anyway, I didn't meet a single Christian. I spent the better part of three months or so there. But I remember the language, and I remember the language in their language. And the most shocking thing was, well, I did not meet any Christians, but everyone, including grandmothers, would say things to me like, go F God. And I wish I could get that out of my head, and perhaps now you have it in yours, and I'm sorry. But other places uh, are not much different than the United States or uh, former Yugoslavia. Take what the editor of the Jewish Daily Forward, J.J. Goldberg, said when he was asked if Madonna, who grew up Catholic, who was now practicing this thing called the Kabbalah, and some of us don't know what that is, but it's kind of Jewish mysticism. And uh, he was asked whether she was Jewish. And he says this, uh, Goldberg says, she's a practicer of, of practitioner of the Kabbalah. So she's practicing Judaism for Christ's sake. I really doubt that she is practicing Judaism for the sake of Christ. Well, uh, is cussing uh, or misusing God's name just a, a cultural thing? Is, is it just a way of speaking? Is it just a way of expressing oneself like we see in movies, the way sergeants speak or, or the way it's common uh, to hear people speak at Quantico or whatever? Is it a cultural thing? Is it, just, is it a matter of bad morals or is it a matter of bad manners? Like not covering your mouth when you cough. Or not saying, I'm sorry, or excuse me, when you bump into someone. And if it is just a matter of bad manners, uh, why would God care so much to put it in the Ten Commandments? I mean, alongside such sins as stealing, adultery, and murder. Why care about words? Don't actions speak a lot louder? But think about your life, uh, the most harmful things in your life, things that have happened to you. If your life is like mine and I've been blessed, I guess, it's been words that sting the most. Things said, things not said, but usually things spoken. And God warns us about it. And he puts misusing our mouth, he puts that, that makes two of the top ten commandments. Two of the list of ten. First is number nine. Do not give false testimony. And then we're going to look at today number three. Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Today, let's see what God means in this third commandment and find out what is so offensive to him about it and why that offense brings guilt on the offender. Perhaps we can say more than even bringing guilt, it exposes the offender. Jesus says this in Luke 6.45, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks. Your tongue is a pretty good indication of what's down there, right? So we just heard, make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. 
Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment of every careless word they've spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted, and by your words you'll be condemned. Jesus says that our words are such an accurate witness of our life and character that on judgment day, our words will in fact be our star witness. And so as we pursue this topic, I just want to tell you, if you take Jesus' words at face value, whatever we say will be played back. Whatever determination you have about what's appropriate or not appropriate, uh, God may use that on Judgment Day uh, for our good or for our um, destruction. Apparently, without words, God wouldn't have a solid case. But anyway, think of Satan. He's the accuser, and he accuses us of false things, right? But our words are an accurate witness to our lives. And you say, well, it doesn't really apply to cursing and things like that, or, or when God's name slips out and just flies out in a moment's notice, I, I, you know, in a thoughtless notice. C.S. Lewis writes about this. He says, Surely what a man does when he's taken off guard is the best evidence for what sort of man he is. And so he says, Surely what pops out before the man has time to put on the disguise is the truth. And this is his analogy. He says, If there are rats in the cellar, you're more likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. But the suddenness does not create the rats... It only prevents them from hiding. In the same way, the suddenness of the provocation does not make me an ill-tempered man. It only shows me what an ill-tempered man I am. The rats are always in the cellar. But if you go in shouting and noisily, they'll have taken cover before you switch on the light. Apparently, the rats of resentment and vindictiveness are always there in the cellar of my soul, he says. So, for instance, what happens in road rage, and all of a sudden, something just happens, and something then happens to you, and that's just an indication, not of the road rage, but it's really more an indication of that kind of rage that's in you already. It just found a reason to just pop out. Suddenness brings out what's just below the surface. So, what starts in the heart comes out of the mouth. But words work in reverse, too. So what comes out of the mouth further strengthens what's in the heart. So it's like, it's like a variation on that, uh, the, the little engine who could, or I forget how this, the book's title, but, you know, it says, I think I can, I think I can, and then if you change the words, and then it's like, I know I can, I know I can. And the same thing for us. It's like, yeah, I think I don't like them, I think I don't like them, I think I don't like them. Yeah, I know I don't like them, I know I don't. It just, it, it works... In reverse, what we say matters, not only as it comes out, but just by saying it makes it... I've found people that have become disillusioned with even wonderful places like churches. They'll just dwell on this negative thing and that thing. It's like, I don't know, this, that, that. And pretty soon, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And then it affects their whole heart. And then everything that's good gets displaced. We fill up our hearts with lots of things, what we see on what we do and what we say. And so 
if you can look at what someone looks at, if you can look at what someone does, if you can hear what someone says, a pretty good idea of what's going on inside that person. And so James puts it this way, the tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. He says the tongue corrupts the whole person. We like to think that the tongue reflects a corrupt person. But James says the tongue itself corrupts you. He talks about the reverse of it, and everyone speaks about it in the other way as evidence of it. But it's very dangerous what we say. It can ruin our lives. We have to be careful what we say to others. We have to be careful what we say to ourselves. Negative talk can set the direction of your life. Grumbling can affect your whole life. Just like speaking good things can affect good things in your life. And the Bible encourages us. In fact, it's a whole list of quotables that we, we can go through and speak things to ourselves. And, and we become those things. I'm new in Christ. I'm new in Christ. I'm new in Christ. You know, those kind of things that we can dwell on those things. And, and just by speaking them out or reading Scripture aloud can change what's going on on the inside. It's very important. It works both ways. You say, well, I... I think that words don't really matter. I think it's just, you know, like, say, cursing. It's just, it's just a way of speaking. It's just filler language. It, it doesn't mean anything. So, OMG is just like saying, wow, you're kidding. Or OMG is like saying, you got to be kidding. Whatever. It doesn't mean anything. Well, well that's the problem. That's exactly the problem that God is addressing in the third commandment. That speaking his name doesn't mean anything. We're to speak God's name with thoughtfulness and adoration, worship, even fear. So, what is God telling us to do in this third commandment? It's uh, pretty broad sweeping, actually. It prohibits the misuse of God's name in ways that are false. Like the false prophets said that God said this when he didn't say that. That's how you can tell what a genuine false prophet is, by the way. They tell you something you want to hear. It's like, that sounds good. It's like God is a yes God. He's just up there giving high fives and going, go for it. Go for it. I mean, you're after all, you're, you're human. Jeremiah 8 says this, they dress the wounds of my people as though they were not serious. Peace, peace, they say where there is no peace. In the, in the height of the lawsuit of the Episcopal Church, and I was there at the trial, and I left, and I left my retirement, and church building, and property, and a whole congregation, and bishop that I left, and I said, I quit. And he said, you can't quit. And I said, I quit. He said, you can't quit. And I said, I quit, but I quit. And he said, you can't quit. And I ran into him later at that trial, and he came up, and he just handed me a dead fish of a handshake like this and said, peace. There was no peace. But that's what false prophets do. They, they speak things that are not true of God. They say things today like, well, God's changed. Or God's moral law. You know, that Old Testament stuff that they got in the desert. That's not for us now. 
You know, God doesn't care about that. He, what he cares about is that you're in a committed relationship. Or, or it doesn't matter, I heard this at Christmas, it doesn't matter actually whether Jesus was born or whether he uh, died or whether he rose. We have this amazing record of some good principles to live by. And we shouldn't worry how they got here. But that's the kind of thing false prophets do. And that's a way of misusing God's name, saying, He said so. I deal with this in my family all the time. You must too. You know, they've mostly grown out of it. But, you know, occasionally it's like, Mom said it's okay. Hmm. Let me ask her. Well, no, she kind of, yeah. No, she didn't say it. It's misusing people's name, attributing things to people that's not true. And to do it in the way of putting God's name in it is, is a problem. So, so that's one way we can misuse the Lord's name. There's another way. Leviticus 19.12 says, Don't swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So this can mean that you swear on a legal document. You swear in a courtroom to give the whole truth and nothing but the truth, etc. It can apply there. You say, I pledge to God that I'm going to say this or do this, and you do it. If you don't mean it, don't do it. Don't say it. It can also refer to covenant making. For instance, in marriage vows. Marriage is a covenant, and that's a three-way deal. It's between you and the other person and God. It's like a big triangle. And I've been with many people going through divorce or thinking about divorce and explain to me many things, how, you know, things have changed, etc., etc., and lots of reasons. And sometimes there's good reasons, like infidelity or abandonment or emotional battery or physical battery. There are ways out of marriage that Jesus said are okay. But in all my years, and there are getting to be quite a few. I have never heard anyone say, I really would like a divorce, but I promised before God to love this person till death do us part, and it's killing me. But I've never heard that. I, I hope to hear that someday. And even just probably speaking that out would work in reverse. Like, I made a promise. I made a promise. I made a promise to love them. I made a promise to love them. You know, I kind of do love them. I'm sure I do. The third commandment also applies to ordination vows. It applies to vows for public office. What about in our worship services? Does it apply here? Isaiah 29, 13 says, The Lord says, these people come near with me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. One of the most important things that we do here on Sunday morning is what happens before the service. It all happens at the beginning of the service too, but back in that room, starting at 9.15 in the library, we invoke God's presence. We invite him to come here. The people that have that prayer ministry are asking God to show up in this place. Some of the most important things that happen in this service happen before everyone or most of the people get here. And then we begin the service in a very important way, too. We also invite him. 
We say, Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Then we say, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts. We ask him to come and do a work in each of us, in our hearts, corporately. We do that. It's not just habits. Well, it is habit, but we have a reason for doing it. It's important. We're, we're bidding him to come and cleanse us by the inspiration of his Holy Spirit. So we're asking the Holy Spirit to come in order that we might perfectly love him and worthily magnify his holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. We say that because what we want to do in this worship service, yeah, we need to get through Monday, yeah, we've got to figure out how to order our life, but we want to worship him, we want to glorify his name in the service. That's what sets this apart from a lot of community churches, that we're here to glorify him, not to learn 16 reasons to help in our relationships as important and good as that is. So we're inviting God into our hearts that he's going to do a deep cleaning in each of us that we may perfectly love him and magnify his glorious name. And then we sing the Gloria, which is amazing. It says we say glory to God, glory in the highest, and peace to all his people on earth. God, heavenly King, almighty God and Father, we worship you, we give you thanks, we praise you for your glory. Lord Jesus Christ, only Son of the Father, Lord God, Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. So we're asking him to have mercy on us. You're seated at the right hand of the Father. And then, and then we pray uh, praise to him alone, the Holy One. You alone are Lord. You alone are the Most High, etc. We're just bidding his presence and we're beginning each worship service, praising him, invoking his presence. Because we don't want to just go through the motions. God hates that. And we do too. It's no fun to just sit here and work on your daily planner. Why bother? Do that at home. Save time. Save gas. Save money. Do it at home. So we want to come here. And some of us, and this is a very Anglican thing to do, is to come in here and sit out and don't catch up. You just come and sit and pray. And we're training new acolytes. And one young man came and said, What's, I, want to, I want to study today. I said, okay, here's the first lesson. That's it. You come in and you're quiet. And then you sit down. And then you pray. And then what? So then what do I do? So that's, that's really two lessons. Come in quietly. But that's important for some of us. It's wonderful to catch up. But for a lot of us in our tradition, we come in here, we want to enter into God's presence. We need him to do a work. We need him to cleanse. And so that's why we do what we do. We don't want to be on autopilot. We have to work on this. James says this, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, tight rein, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Is he exaggerating? You might say, well, I've got an idea. I, as far as God's name bit, I'm just not going to say his name. That's the way I'm going to get around it. I'm just not going to speak it. We had a lady come in here, and uh, she, that's the way she does. I mean, she, she would write me emails, and every time God's name was there, it would be like a little underline thing. And she would come up, and she would talk about, she says, really, I really want to love him, but, you know, it, it, if, and every time she got there, she would just pause and do a blank. That's what the, that's what the Israelites did after the exile. They decided that, well, the way to get a, uh, keep the third commandment is just not to say God or the Lord or Yahweh or Jehovah, however you're used to saying it according to your English translation. Not 
to uh, misuse his name. But God, of course, in the third commandment doesn't say, I don't want you to use my name. He said, I want you to misuse my name. I just think that whole thing is kind of funny. There's another way you can misuse God's name, and Israel suffered for this. They were sent into exile. Ezekiel said that Israel had blasphemed God by forsaking him. What does it mean to blaspheme God? I could speak to you for five hours, and praise God I'm not going to, on what it is to blaspheme God. It is a whole topic in itself. And I have this book here, my postgraduate, postgraduate degree I mean, this is, I studied this for two years, Prescriptions for Blasphemy by Larson. But I'm not going to do it. But I'll tell you uh, one of the short answers for that is saying something that's, how can I put it in a short way? That he responds to. In other words, saying, God is dead. That's one way to blaspheme God. And in fact, in Leviticus 24, that's exactly what happened. A half Israelite came out and blasphemed God, and we think he said, Your God doesn't exist. And God, in perfect justice, said, Okay, you think I don't exist? What's the appropriate punishment for that crime? I'll make you not exist. And so he took the guy out of the camp and and God had Moses stone him. That's a whole topic for a sermon series, blasphemy. But that is one way we can misuse God's name is to speak things about him that are not true. God is an amazing being. And it's really fun to speak about The easy parts of Christianity, like grace, and God is loving and merciful to a thousand generations. And we love to speak about that. That is so satisfying. You can have a huge television network built on that, on the grace of God and just preaching that. And that is wonderful. And it's much, and that's the low bar of Christianity. Anyone who confesses the name of Jesus Christ and believes in his heart will be saved. Okay, good, I'm in. But there's that whole other part about Jesus isn't in the manger anymore, and he's not walking on earth anymore, and he's not lowly and meek anymore. He's the judge, and he's sitting on the throne, and he expects things from us, and actually his bar is high, so high that he's going to judge every single word that we say about him. That's not a good sermon, that God has demands on our lives, on our marriages, on our families, on our wallets, on our eyes on our mouths. But I think here, uh, we want to do things and say things that are so wonderful and so attractive that people say, you know, I want to be a part of that faith. That's attractive. It's, It's alluring in the most satisfying way. But we live in a world that misuses God's name and profanes it and pushes God's name to the irrelevant sidelines of our lives. So what do you do when you're in a room full of people misusing God's name? Not talking about swearing, just take, just OMGs flying everywhere. What do you do? It must happen to you all the time. Those of you who are working or sitting places. That happens to me. 
you know, I get off the tennis court and some guy says, you know, he's a pastor. It's like, oh, you're kidding. I'm so sorry. I had no idea. And they're talking about their language. What do you say? Probably, I'm just going to suggest this as a strategy. Say nothing. Why? Because if you say something, it implies that you are offended. And that's not the deal. The offense is with God. He's the one you don't want to offend. It's not you. It's like, man, this is not my name. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Do not misuse my name. So it's the Lord that they have a problem with. So find another way to come at it. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And that name is the one in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, 1, 2, 3, we went read through 6. Um, that's the name that rescued Israel out of Egypt. And it's the name that has rescued us from our sins. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place. He's talking about Jesus. And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think we can do better with our mouths. Do you? Sure we can. We can't do it... uh, on our own, though, and it's not just a matter of the mouth, as we've been talking at great length about, I'm afraid. We need a change of heart. Remember, it goes both ways. And how can you change your, how can you get a new mouth? How can you get a new heart? Ezekiel says this, I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean, and I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. And be careful to follow my laws, even the third commandment. How does God do that? How, how do we do how, Okay, I want to make progress. How, how do I make progress with my mouth? It's like basketball or football. You make substitutions. That's how you... Strengthen the team, get things done, you make substitution. It's a, it's a policy of substitution. And so Paul in Ephesians 4, and we heard this read, uh, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. The idea is, okay, you, I want a substitution. I'm going to substitute a new self. Okay, fine. How are you going to do that? Well, you put on the new self, created uh, to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, well, how do I do that? Well, it says in verse 25, uh, you, you put off falsehood. Well, how do I put off falsehood? He says, well, speak truthfully. Oh, okay, you substitute false stuff for true stuff. Okay, I, I got that. For we're all members of one body. Okay, he continues with his substitution policy. Ephesians 4.28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. Okay, so you're a thief out of work. Now what? You're a thief between jobs. He says, no, no, but now, now that you stop stealing, work. Do something useful with your own hands that you may have something to share with those in need. You substitute. You got a potty mouth, you substitute good words. You, you, you steal, you substitute by good work. And so that's how he ends. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk 
come out of your mouths. Any unwholesome talk. Okay, how do I do that? So I have this pattern of speech. How am I gonna how am I gonna do that? Any, any, none, zero, no dessert? No, instead he says, you only speak what builds others up according to their needs. Work at saying things that will build people up in a godly manner. Otherwise, it says, you grieve the Holy Spirit for whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. I suppose some of you are thinking, God is a prude. Somehow, it's just not as satisfying when you really want to drop the F-bomb. And it's the only thing that will really catch the meaning of what you want. And we were laughing about this last night. It's just, it's just somehow it's just not satisfying to say, wow, just holy uh, matrimonial covenant oath-making. Just somehow, just holy renewal of my marriage vows. It just doesn't get there. It just doesn't give you the same kind of feeling when you want to let it rip. But isn't that kind of what you're talking about there? And you can go through all the salty language, the same thing. But God, and so that's, that's just throwing it into speech. But that doesn't say that you can't name things or name body parts. God's not that much of a prude. And I asked the guys last night, you know, do you have any kind of uh, what we would call pretty salty language in the Bible? Is there any of it there? Can you think of anything? And I can't remember. Someone came up with something, but, but I'll just give you one. And so we can use colorful language. We can use descriptive language, but not in the way that's cursing or swearing or non-edifying. Remember when Elijah was on Mount Carmel, which my son thinks that's the most marvelous place. He would love to see Mount Carmel. As a little boy, he told me. But... There they were, and there was the big fire ceremony, and they're trying to get the sacrifices all lit, and Baal's guys couldn't get it going. And Elijah's saying, where is he? Where is Baal? And he goes through a list, and in that list, I think it's 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Kings 18, he gives some options. His last option was, maybe he's away on a trip. Another option was, well, maybe he's sleeping. But if you go into the NIV, it says, maybe he's busy. Let me see how I'll put it. Elijah was saying, in the language of the day, maybe he's taking a... Let me put it this way. Maybe he's sitting on the can. It put down Baal. It put down their belief system. But it wasn't cursing. It's not that you can't read the Bible and find this thing in there. And so Paul challenges us all over the place about not misusing God's name. But, oh, I don't even know if I can find it. But basically it says, don't let, we just heard it from Ephesians, don't let any unwholesome language come out of your mouth. And where is it? Colossians. Yeah. Is it there? Yeah. And I have the pages and pages on this particular word. Ace Crotes. Listen. 
Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Lust. Evil desires. Greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger. Rage, malice, slander, and here's the word, and filthy language from your lips. I think it's clear. Though that is not probably what the third commandment means, but it is part of our mouths and it is part of our culture, and perhaps especially because some of us are in the military, and even more shocking, uh, we live near the capital. May God have mercy on us, and may we find great joy in speaking only words that we will be pleased to hear played back on Judgment Day. And that will be something to celebrate. Amen?